Hi, everyone. Uh, just a quick note at the top of the episode here. As I'm sure you have heard, and in case you haven't, uh, unfortunately, we got the news that Mike and Brian have officially left the Netflix live action series. Um, obviously, it's uh, sad, and we're all feeling a lot of emotions. Um, we have not done a an episode yet uh, where we are going to kind of talk about everything. We're waiting to kind of digest some of our feelings and then really get to it. However, if you want to hear some discussion, um, I was recently on our sister podcast, Beyond Bending, with Marilyn. Um, we uh, did a whole thing where we... <sighs> just reacted. It was like the day of, uh, and just kind of talked about it. We're also going to be doing a follow-up as well. Um, so if you're looking to hear more about that and some of our thoughts, uh, be sure to tune in at Beyond Bending Podcast. Um, but without any further ado, let's get into book two, The Legend of Korra. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Legend of Portalcast, a podcast dedicated to Avatar The Last Airbender, Legend of Korra, and all things Avatar. I'm Colin, your main host, and today with me, we're back, and I've got uh, two co-hosts today. <laughs> I got two co-hosts with me today. Go ahead and introduce yourselves. Uh, it's Susan and Emily. You all remember <laughs> Emily, our, my wonderful daughter who i've introduced to avatar being her mother who is a big fan so i'm just you know raising the next generation correctly yes absolutely you were you were doing you were doing the avatar's work here <laughs> i don't know about the avatar but definitely iroh's work yes that that's very true <laughs> <laughs> she, she knows about tea she's good Yes. All right. So uh, first thing that we're going to kind of talk about uh, well, before we even get into anything, uh, we're really, really pumped, A, to be back and B, uh, to celebrate the fact that Legend of Korra is now out on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Uh, so it's been a long time coming. This is the first time it's like ever been on Netflix. And this is the first time it's been. I feel like it's the first time I've really seen a rebroadcast outside of Nickelodeon, which is like in the middle of the night because I guess Korra is a little risque for them at Nickelodeon. Um, I know that we have been. It it's odd just because like we showed we showed Emily Avatar: The Last Airbender. I feel like years like a few years ago now, and so she knows about Avatar: Last Airbender. She's known about it for a while, but then we told her there was another series called Korra. And I think for the longest time you didn't believe me. <laughs> Did you? Well, by chances, yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> you didn't. Um, I mean, and so Emily has Emily has stuff from Cora in her room, and we told her that there's a female avatar after Legend of Air, uh, Legend of Aang, uh, and she's just like, no, no, no. Um, and it's kind of nice that Netflix has it out now because then I can just show it to her and be like, oh, look, see, we're not crazy when we told you this other series existed. <laughs> um, I mean, but Emily's watched a lot of stuff with us like Dragon Prince and things along that line. Uh, nice. We just finished up um, Shira, right? Oh, yes. 
Oh my goodness. Uh, She-Ra is so good. Who's your favorite character from She-Ra? Yeah, so she, uh, she's been into the whole, I feel like, universe of these much more character and story arc driven um, forms of cartoons and shows. So it's kind of been nice to be able to share that with her more recently now. So Very but nice. I, as a small fact, who, who, what picture do you have up in your room that's signed by the voice actor? That is amazing. <laughs> yeah, she's super. So she asked me, she's like, be the leaf. Who signed that? I was like, oh, that is signed by Janet Varney herself, Cora. <laughs> and I like get really excited about it. Um, and I think her... So my friend who got it for said that Janet Varney at the time was like, I think this is the youngest person I've ever signed a signed a autograph for because at the time Emily was still not born yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! So much pre- you got Appa beforehand. You got the signed poster beforehand. We just, we just started it pretty much. Early. Yeah, just there was a onesie. Your, your avatar legacy and we have was a ready for you. Two posters: one's Aang and one's Korra nice you gotta have both representation <laughs> so you know colin let's kick it off tonight i guess talking a little bit about cora talking about you know these episodes that we're getting into tonight i mean you know the series itself definitely takes a different approach right it mm-hmm. we're talking about it's definitely gone from that kind of more tribal city states that don't really talk to each other too much very limited amount of, of you know communication methods uh limited technology to Almost what we're going to, I think at the time we called it almost the Industrial Revolution, the, the 1920s, if you will, is how we described mm-hmm. it way back when. Um, you know, you got that radio announcer that starts it off very much like the old school um, <laughs> radio where it's like, hello, friends, we're back. Like kind of that that whole voice. Pro bending is still happening, but what's going to happen now on the horizon with the spirit portal in the south? I hope the fire ferrets <laughs> have a good doctor on call, because they're going to need it. <laughs> I had to explain that joke to Emily. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, so, uh, in, in you know, obviously season two, book two of Korra is uh, the beginning of a whole new journey that the creators got to go on, because at first, they thought they were only going to do the first season. Um, that was the episodes that were promised. They kind of wrapped up everything as if it was going to end there. And then book two came along, and suddenly they get to plan for more seasons to tell a longer story. And that is the exciting part about where this book starts off and a lot of the groundwork that they start to lay for the stories ahead. So I think... You know, as we come into book two, you know, we're, we're coming off the fresh of the heels of the first the first part of the series where we met Asami, we've met Mako, we've met Bolin. We have we have an understanding of some of the character arcs here. We have an understanding of some of the interactions among the characters. Um, and, you know, we, we have the whole um, Tenzin family together. So I think that's where, you know, it, it gives a great point of where they can go with the story because we do have those backgrounds already established. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things I, I did before we launch into this episode, uh, Susan had uh, messaged me and apparently she was telling me about something that you, uh, Emily had like pointed out about a clock in, was this an avatar? 
Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so we were watching the episode today, right? Yeah, and so it was amazing. <laughs> but I think they're going to add new characters. Okay, no, but let's go back to the clock. So remember, we were watching the episode, and she's waiting for Amon, and she wants to fight him. And what, it, what, what did we notice about the clock? The clock was in Chinese. I can read Chinese. Very cool. So was it just an accurate representation of the number? What was uh what did it read? It was just numbers. Nice. So all the numbers on there were <laughs> were uh so what was the number at the time that it struck though? Sure. Which is? Yes, it's twelve, okay. <laughs> just looking on the spot, but yeah, so she pointed out, she's like, I actually noticed it at first. I said, hey, wait a second. We went back, and then she's like, yeah, that's Chinese. That's 12. That's one, two, three. And I was like, oh, wow. And so this gets back to the interesting part of, like, I feel like sometimes we see a lot of these characters in there in the show, and it's just, like, it, it really gets those those um, Asianic influences with respect to the series because, you know, you get to these these uh different languages and you see like i think in the first in the first uh series we did see a little bit of korean in the background at times mm-hmm. and now yeah. we're seeing the chinese in this series um i don't know colin in season in this series the second series they didn't did they did they end up um not using so much of the animators from korea as they did in the first one i can't remember if they changed the studios that they were using over there well, Studio Mur is actually the one that they went with for the majority of Korra. Mm-hmm. And I need to, I actually believe that they are based out of uh, Korea. Hold on. Yes, they are. Uh, they're based in Seoul, South Korea. Oh, wow. So that's yep. a interesting. Um, I wonder if one of our listeners can possibly follow up with maybe there's like some kind of um, tie in there or is it just. They're trying to represent a bunch of different languages at once into the series. Because um, I would definitely like to know like how that creative decision was done to use the Mandarin on the clock instead of using um, something else or just making up their own number symbolization. Mm-hmm. So, Or if that is like a representation of Republic City. Yeah. Is Republic City kind of taking, uh, taking on Mandarin as kind of the primary... Uh, form of uh, especially a lot of the characters that are well, my used. one my one thought was that is it a reflection of Hong Kong even mm. though Hong Kong's Cantonese um, yeah. based but the idea is that Hong Kong was meant to be kind of a neutral zone city if you will because remember the English had it they they supposedly gave it China Hong Kong doesn't want to be part of China but essentially it's one of the biggest areas of international trade yeah and international capitalism if you will and I wonder how much of that was kind of lifted from the idea of Hong Kong. Definitely. Um, so uh, now that we kind of uh, are ready to dive into this, let's let's get into episode one of book two, Legend of Korra, Rebel Spirit. And what I love about the intro to this episode is that it is a classic monster of the week type of hook in the beginning we see this in Buffy we see this in Supernatural you see kind of these two nameless characters they're on like a ship and the old man is telling a story about oh be careful in these waters and then as he's laughing and walking away the young man that he was telling that story to suddenly sees something in the water and the next thing that we see are spirit tendrils coming up 
taking one of them and then it cuts to the title screen. So I like to point out this is very D&D-ish when mm-hmm. the DM introduces a new a new plot line, I feel like. Just so we're yeah. clear that, that you know, <laughs> basically this became a D&D camp. Absolutely. I I think there's a lot you could definitely say that there is a lot of D&D flavor in uh, book two uh, and I, I'm excited to kind of keep that in mind too with some of our discussion yeah so um, I like I said that that's one of my favorite like just openings in a way because it's like it gives it the sense that okay the series is not here it's this is permanent it's going to keep happening for a little bit which is kind of nice um, we're in season one because they only thought they were getting one season initially into the book first book you like you they, they kind of rushed through some things that you kind of hope they wouldn't rush through but because they only thought they were getting one real shot at it, I think I get why they did it. So it's kind of mm-hmm. nice that we get this more mysterious opening, which would be traditional of other series that kind of start with this mystery. Absolutely. Um, so it doesn't take long after that. We're brought back to a familiar site. We see the pro bending arena as Bolin is giving like this inspiring speech. Um, and I love the detail that the people that are on the team of the fire ferrets are two of the super fans who were in the crowd last time. <laughs> you get to go back to the pro bending arena too, which is great. Like it's, you mm-hmm. know, it's not just something that disappeared in the background. Cause it was a part of the first season pretty heavily so i'm glad it didn't just go to the it just didn't go to the wayside in the second season like they still acknowledge that pro bending exists yeah but i think it's also kind of showing that like things have changed because bolin and the team they get knocked out and the announcer is like the fastest knockout in pro bending history and bolin is just like where's mako when i need him Cut to Mako in a high-speed chase on a motorcycle. Uh, he's giving us these straight-up, like, Batman vibes with this motorcycle chasing through and, like, chasing these uh, criminals who are escaping in a van. He pulls off these, like, sick moves with spins and launches and firebending and landings. And it ends with the van tumbling as Mako stands triumphantly over them with his delivery of his one-liner, which, uh, why did I not write that down? Hold on. Do you remember what <laughs> it was? He gives a great build-up, everybody. And then he doesn't write know, down right? the key point to the build-up, which is, oh, yeah, there's a line there. That's the most amazing line in the episode. And I just forgot what it was. Mako uh, stands over them triumphantly, says, looks like you had some car trouble. Good thing the police are here. <laughs> And just he looks so pleased with himself as he does this. Um, but then this, uh, as we continue to see where the rest of the crew is at, we see Asami arrive in a uh, Future Industries airplane. And uh, one of the Future Industries uh, kind of employees comes up to her and says, hey, in case you didn't realize, you know, since uh, your father's in prison, uh, no one really wants to work with us. Um and Asami is keeping like such a positive attitude. She says, we've got someone we're going to meet in the Southern Water Tribe who can help. But then as soon as she kind of gets out of sight of this guy, you can look, you can see she looks visibly distressed. And it's this feeling that like Asami is really shouldering a lot of this responsibility and putting on a like a, a, like a positive face so that it doesn't look like she's weak and that the business is strong, which is it's such a little moment, but such a great attention to detail. 
can we can we talk about that for a second is that yeah it's it's an incredible moment and you think about everything that's going on in the world and just what it said and i love how mike and brian always did this they took little itty bitty moments and they talked about bigger things and how to put them together so that they made a statement about bigger things than that moment like for example if it was a guy stepping into this role like say mako or you know just, or he had a son say Hato had a son and the son steps into the role after everything that happened it's a chance that people have been more accepting to work still work with them versus asami who is a woman and and it makes a big statement because everyone at the table is not really uh, for better words uh, the female persuasion <laughs> so yep it's um yeah my daughter's laughing but she knows and so i think it, it <laughs> makes a big statement about the fact that you know it really does say a lot here about asami's character because she is you're right she's taking on this humongous role of being in charge of the company but also um with a lot of challenges against her for just that she's a female period Mm-hmm. I know the avatar is female, but that's a whole different. I guess they see the avatar differently. Yeah. Well, the avatar has this inherent power. And I think that there is a respect that comes from that inherent power. I mean, even Amon talks about it is that there is a respect and admiration for benders. And on top of being a woman taking over this, this company, Asami is a non-bender. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a lot that's like kind of tied in, but she takes it on anyway, which is so amazing. Um, and then we get to go to Air Temple Island and we see Cora racing the air vending kids. So they are all on their air scooters and she uses the Avatar State to win. And you they're all like kind of to like. cheat is what you mean there. Well, okay. So there's this. It's the, not her fault. <laughs> you hear this? Emily's defending the Avatar for her. well you know what you are on the right side though em because there is a famous uh argument that has been made that you know what people are people are saying oh cora why did you cheat when cora was really going into the avatar state so that ang can spend time with his grandchildren oh come on That is, that, I'm sorry, that is, that theory is just, <laughs> that's Unbelievable. a reach. That is a reach. <laughs> that is not true. That is, that's just not true. <laughs> well, at least it's one of the arguments that's put forward. Uh, so, you know, we see that Tenzin is very upset about this. And he is like, you shouldn't be using the Avatar state like this as a booster rocket. And as he is kind of uh, saying all of this, we get a little bit more of his brother, Boomy. And Boomy is just saying, well, now that I've retired, it's 24-7 Boomy time. (laughs) And Tenzin just so desperately does not want him there. But Boomy wants to be there so badly. (laughs) I, you know, I... I feel like Boomy is all of us right now in quarantine. Well, we're not doing anything. It's 24 7 me time. All right. <laughs> and like your significant other, you're, you know, and you're, it's like, well, I didn't sign up for this much time together. <laughs> it's true, though. It's true. It's, it's like an unexpected uh, thing because now he's there and 
there to stay. And it's not um, known how long he's there for. <laughs> so Tenzin, uh, Tenzin says that uh, he wants to bring Korra to all of the air temples to continue her airbending training. Korra at this point is just like, look, I am good. I know airbending. And she's like, punch, punch, kick, winds flying out. And she's like, I'm all good. And Tenzin's like, Korra, I don't know how many times I have to tell you this, but like, it is not just about punching things. <laughs> and, you know, they, they, they are like, okay, but before we leave, we got a fun time down at the Southern Water Tribe. Um, and, they're on the ship taking a trip down there as Mako uh, is there with Korra and sharing some of his one-liners kind of going over. And she's like, did you like write that line that you said to those criminals beforehand? And he's like, well, yeah. And then he takes out a piece of paper. <laughs> and I love how honest he is in that moment too, just, that yeah. it's just like, he's a dork. <laughs> I've been sitting here writing these one-liners and I think about them every day. Like that's basically... <laughs> I want to know how much of a nod that was to the writer's room on that. Like, hey, guys, <laughs> we know what you're doing right now. You're sitting mm-hmm. around just writing some one-liners, waiting to use them in the show. Now's your moment. <laughs> We're going to give you a whole episode yes. where you get to put a bunch of one-liners in for mock. And then you get to write your own story. Done. <laughs> Mako is writing his own story of Mako the cop, like for real. He is he is all about crafting this narrative uh, and, you know, talks about how he could potentially get a promotion. But then uh, Cora kind of solicits some advice uh, about everything. And Mako says that, look, Tenzin is just looking out for you and looking for the best. And Cora does not vibe with that she is not okay with that and she gets very upset and storms out of the room and mako is just like why is this so difficult (laughs) okay mako this is called lesson 101 when we're seeking (laughs) advice we're not seeking your affirmation of somebody else's thoughts we're seeking you know your confirmation of our own thoughts and feelings (laughs) um yeah so i think you know this is it's interesting because it sets up what this dynamic will be the rest of the season. I feel like right here, this is what Mm -hmm. it sets it up for is this, you know, um, that these are two people who don't really see eye to eye on things. Yeah. And I think it's great because they are immediately responding to, I think one of the criticisms of the first season was just like, wait, they just like got together so fast and like suddenly we're just like, we're here. It's this hunky-dory story of them like ending up together at the end of the season. And I think it just shows that relationships are way more complicated than they actually, you know, that than that. And it gives them a chance to explore that. You mean um, it goes back to the idea of, we know we rushed last season, but now we're going to go and show that like, you know, hey, when people rush into things, it may not work out the way they thought. Exactly. So when we get to the Southern Water Tribe, we get to meet Kaya for the first time. Uh, Tenzin and Bumi's sister, uh, of course, the one daughter of Aang and Katara. And uh, we also get to see Katara as well. My heart swells every time I, I see I Does see it swell with hope? Hope, all hope, nothing but hope. Yes. <laughs> um, 
And then, you know, Bolin's just like, wow, I can't believe we got this warm welcome from everyone. And Korra's dad is just like, they're not here for, for you. They're here for them. And we see this massive water tribe ship. It is a beautiful white with these like incredible insignias. It is this huge, huge, uh, like what? What's flagship uh, of like the Northern Water Tribe that arrives as we see Unalak, Eska, and Desna? Uh, so Unalak is kind of just this taller, thin, just lithe-looking, you know, very regal-looking, and then Eska and Desna are these twins who just look so glum. This design of their characters is so wonderful, and of course, we get the incomparable. Aubrey Plaza to voice one of them and it's just it's so it's so great (laughs) I feel like when we get these characters these new ones I feel like you know it's just it really sets it up that wow these characters are going to be crazy against the characters that we know are so happy and hopeful and joyful and And cute and Bolin who's just the most lovable affable person ever and then this character over here is like, death becomes me. <laughs> so, you know, you get the introduction of the Northern Wire Trolley flagship, and you realize very quickly that within this time frame, because remember, we were in Republic City last season, and it's just very much Republic City. You have inklings of what's going on in the other kingdoms and the other tribes and everything and the nations, and then you get this actual look at how far the southern water tribes come, how far the northern water tribes come, and you're like, wow, when did that happen? And it's just, it feels like you really did have this, like, almost repressed time for 100 years. With this, too, we've got, uh, you know, there's there's a tension there between the north and the south, and... The thing is, is that there was a little bit of this explored in the comics. Uh, one of the last books that Jin Luen Yang wrote um, before he ended his run with Guru Hiru was that it was about it, it was a book called North and South. And it was about the development of the Southern Water Tribe. I don't want to dive too deep into that, but we do get to see some of that progression. But we also get to see some tension, too. And now we're starting to see how different a lot of these societies truly became after the war there was a time of prosperity and with prosperity there's also comes like a change and we went from the southern water tribe being a single village to a sprawling city and it is crazy to see all of that now and i love how much they're immersing us in this but as we're seeing this unalak talks about the traditions of the glacier festival and how it was once a time of fasting and meditation. And now he kind of sees this festival that they're doing as something that doesn't keep in touch with those original traditions. He talks about the sailors who are being attacked outside of in southern water tribe waters and how he can help Korra. Tanrak... Korra's father is not having this, though. And we really get to see them butt heads right away. I think going into that, you know, it, it shows the dynamic between the two tribes. is It's still not resolved. Like, it was kind of yeah. where we were in the last last series, too. Like, the North and the Southern Wilder tribes. Remember, she was like, we haven't had any contact with them in a long time. And 
Remember that was like the first thing she tells him when he's like, we'll just go get you a water tribe, a water master from the north. And she's like, I haven't, we haven't talked to our sister tribe in like years. Um, and you gotta imagine that in this instance though, like they know of each other, they talk to each other, they're diplomatic with one another. But at the end of the day, there's still that north-south underlying tension. And I think it's it, it's a lot when you think about that and you think about the other nations, because you don't really see as much of that with the airbenders, which, to be frank, there's still not a lot of them. Tenzin's the only one producing them at the current moment. <laughs> um, you have, but you don't see it with the, you don't see it really when you go around the Fire Nation, when they went there, there wasn't too much, you know, north-south oh, colonies. Like, maybe that was the extent of it. And then you get to um, the Earthbenders, and the Earthbenders really didn't look at each other too differently. So it's an interesting dynamic that even within a culture, there can be some um, um, just differences among them. Like, we don't look at our Canadian neighbors. I'm sure Canada looks down and goes, well, our basement neighbors are being odd. So (laughs) since the Water Tribe, we did Water Tribe money, well, I don't see any difference about money. Why should they just, like... And there is a universal currency at this point, so that is a good point, Em, is that really the different nations, like, shouldn't be... I guess what, I guess the point is that here you have, you know, you're talking about pirates and stuff like that coming off and commandeering these ships off of Southern Water Tribe waters, and the idea that I'm only spinning forward is that it's a lot different now where it's not so much about the barter system and what you have, it's about what can I sell. And mm-hmm. the money system... Um, is a lot different now because you don't have different nations of different currency. You have one unified currency for the most part that you notice. Um, and I think that's where this, the dynamic of the show changes in terms of the economy. And I'm not going to get too deep into that because we know I could probably give a whole TED talk on that. <laughs> um, but with respect to um, bringing in these diplomatic negotiations, I think this is also another area where you see it really jump off from being a kid's show to being a more um, matured kid's show. Absolutely. And the thing is, too, is that we've also got, I mean, the, the, the point of money, too, brings us to a very good point. And that is this next scene, Asami asks Bolin to go with her to go meet this uh, mysterious figure who could help future industries. And I was watching this episode with Abigail and she just like grabbed my leg and she's like, oh my God, yes. (laughs) As they go in, we see this figure and he is claims that he, did you see it? I was levitating. Yeah. (laughs) And (laughs) and we are introduced to none other than Varric. And as we see this, Bolin, as he walks in is like, um, no, you weren't levitating. And everyone in the room just turns and looks at Bolin. Varric dashes towards him and he's just like, are you saying I wasn't levitating? And he's like, well, no. He's like, well, now I look like an idiot. <laughs> Swami, you're fired. <laughs> and you see the Swami just like <laughs> back away in shame. He's so upset. But then Varric loves the fact that Bolin is a straight shooter. He asks Asami, is he with you? And there's this instant rapport that is established between them. Mm-hmm. Varric, in true Varric fashion, is immediately pitching to them, all right, are you ready? I got to tell you about this thing called moving pictures. <laughs> and he what? has Julie. Julie, bring it up. And suddenly Julie comes forward. Julie, do the thing. Yes. <laughs> 
Julie brings up a film projector and we see an image of an ostrich horse running. And it's this truly beautiful moment. As a film nerd, I I love this moment so much because it is the same very like simple thing that is one of the most famous instances of the first things caught on film and that is train coming into station and all it is it is a train pulling into a station and it's it's amazing the response you get from Bolin because it was very similar to the response that people had in the audience when they saw that the first time was that oh my gosh the train's coming at me kind of thing yes and <laughs> i love that they they gave that similar reaction um in this sequence and it was just it's one of my favorite moments, but I knew, but I remember the first time I watched this, you did nerd out about that so bad. <laughs> uh, so, but the best part is, is that as Bolin is like in awe and in shock and everything, Varric just goes, you like that? Forget it. <laughs> and he's just like this. Is, and he goes in and launches to this whole pitch about how, look, we need to tell stories. He brings Ginger in. He's like, Ginger, do the poses. And she's like, bam. And we see these like anime style backgrounds with stars and effects and everything as she's doing these poses and all of that. And it's like, you see that Varric is not resting on the laurels of this simple thing. He is already on to the next invention, the next stage of things. And it immediately establishes who he is as a character right away. And it is so wonderful in that. So, I, I think Ginger didn't want to do those poses anyway. But I, I think, I think, so let's go. So this is another interesting part is when you meet Varric, um, it goes back to those subtle things that I said earlier, is that Asami asked Bolin to go with her to an investor's meeting. Why does Asami get Bolin to go? Why doesn't Asami just go on herself? Wonder why. And then, like, it's just the little things here that they use to amplify that. And I love Mike and Brian Ford. I don't know if it was intentional, but it felt that way. And if it was, slam dunk on them, because no one really picked up on that. Unless you were, like, a woman, you're like, yes, I've had to take a man to a meeting before to actually repeat everything I said. <laughs> because the people in the meeting were not listening to me. Yeah. And I think I think it's a two I think it's a twofold thing for Masami. She recognizes that it's going to be beneficial to bring Bolin in, but I think she also understands and realizes the potential that Bolin has. I you know, she even says she's like I think you'd be a great assistant and like the scene ends here with her saying you are a great assistant. <laughs> and before the scene ends though, Varric like as Asami is just like, all right, so about this deal, Varric just like runs up to her, puts his forehead against hers and they're just staring off. And I love how like at first Asami is kind of like shocked at this, but then she just focuses her eyes and then just meets his gaze. And then he's just like, all right, we got a deal. <laughs> it's very, it's very, it's very Varric. Like, but it's, it's almost as if, and it gets back to those little things is that, Asami's like, this is not how we typically do business, but she then goes, well, I'm just going to imitate what he's doing. And it shows that Varric responded better to that. The idea that Bolin was a straight shooter, the idea that Asami was doing that. I think that's a huge thing. And it, again, it's just little things that I think are really great show Sometimes ads. Sometimes you might have to fake it 
think the opposite because you don't know really how it can turn out because they never actually say in the like series. Yeah, that's true. Varric is very interesting. That are left unsaid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Like Varric being uh, the way he is. <laughs> so we get to a dinner uh, now that is honoring Unalak and the arrival of the Northern Water Tribe, and Unalak is still upset. He is still just being like, this this whole festival is not what it used to be, and he calls it a cheap carnival. And the shade from that statement is, oh, it is so strong. But you know what? At the same time, it is this feeling of like, it, it kind of puts you in this position where you're like, okay, I, like, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with him because there is like something missing about the reverence of spirits. Like the whole thing has been commodified in that scene. It is juxtaposed by the end of Varric bringing on this clown and the the otter penguins who were like doing this show and then transitions to Mako and Korra at the carnival. There's like Appa plushies. Everything's been commodified. And I think that from Unalak's perspective, it's just like, look what you're doing here. And he's upset with it, even though we all know Appa plushies are amazing and should not be frowned upon. <laughs> I believe everyone should have a Momo, a fire ferret, and a Appa. Like, come on! I love this platform yes, that you have, Em. It's great. Emily 2020, so everyone gets a plushie. <laughs> yes, everyone should get a plushie. And that's a order. <laughs> so, I think, you know, it says a lot with the commercialization of things here and it's the statement is made that you know you're taking these ways that are considered from thousands and thousands of years hundreds of thousands of years essentially to be uh based steeped in tradition and how wonderful they are and they're just you know honoring the spirits and you've basically made them for all intents and purposes um no better than a a uh, circus act it just it's it's comedic at best and you've got these things going on that don't that don't do tribute and honor to the spirits no they're based on the capitalist principles of the human nature the idea to get one additional dollar out of their fellow man it's not about celebrating the the actual spirits or giving tribute to them it's about making money off the spirits and that's Mm -hmm. not something that probably sits well with the spirits and that's what unlock is pointing out here it's like hey this isn't gonna sit well with them they could have just added like Cork and also like like ask Alma something and she could respond like she can know what Alma was saying. I wish they could have added that. So well, like they sort of, I mean, they sort of do end though because you know Avatar N could speak to the spirits, Cork can speak to the spirits, so they do put that burden upon Cora just as they did with Aang to talk to the spirits. But so that's you know they're different. So she can talk to the spirit. It's just she has a hard time. Amor's really ready. So And she's not wrong there. It's I gonna mean, take her a while to figure that out. Exactly. You're exactly right. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, Em. So 
we're at the carnival. We're seeing Mako and Cora being cute. And Bolin clearly is like feeling like he's missing out. And he's like, all right, wish me luck, guys. And he goes over to Eska and Desna. And he's just like trying to like win them over. And they're just looking at him so coldly. And just like there is just such a like stale response. And then like she looks Desna, like she looks at she looks at him and she's like, you amuse me. I will make you mine. And Bolin's like, uh, like a boyfriend or a slave? And Bolin's like, like a boyfriend or a slave? And she just goes, yes, win me prizes. It's a slave. <laughs> it's it's more it's more of a, that was, I think that might have been what I first said to my husband. I like you. You amuse me. Win me things. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> yes, it's what I said to your dad. Uh. <laughs> So we see Mako and Korra um, are now at the carnival and we see more of this too where Korra is uh, Korra is like unsure about like you know all of these different mixed messages that are coming across you know she's like I really want to be able to work with Unalak and Mako is not saying anything and or he's like kind of agreeing and she's just like why aren't you going to like are you going to kind of like disagree or like, aren't you going to say anything? And Michael's just like, I don't know what to say. And he is in such a helpless position. You can tell he is so out of his depth. And Cora is just, she's feeling big feelings right now. And Mako just does not know how to be there for her. <laughs> and she's, to be fair, not making it super easy for him either. So it's kind of, it falls in both courts. <laughs> um, so, after this scene, we go back and we see Cora back at her tent or like kind of the lodging that they're at. And then Naga starts howling as a spirit emerges and starts attacking. Uh, it immediately clashes with Cora. Everyone's starting to chip in to fight. And this spirit is just wrecking everyone. Like they all are trying to go in. Bolin's just like, I got it. And then he gets whacked. He's like, I don't got it. And just gets like whacked to the side. I don't agree with the funnel cake you served. (laughs) It's it's a great scene though, because it really gets back to the whole, I don't think the spirits are going to like this. No, the spirits didn't like it. No. And Tenzin tries this kind of sensible approach where he is like, spirit, why are you angry with us? And he also proceeds to get wrecked. Korra then enters the avatar state. We're like, maybe this is going to work as she like goes in and then she's in the middle of the carnival. She's wrecking everything there. And then she gets wrecked in the avatar state. And as she is being pinned down by the spirit, Unalak arrives as water bends around the spirit and suddenly it turns this golden light and the spirit itself begins to glow. And then it becomes pacified as it kind of fades away. So did Unalak just sing it a bedtime story? Is that what happened? Like, I, I, we're not making been. money off of you. <laughs> Go to sleep. <laughs> he just found the avatar state instead of forcing her into the avatar state. Well, I think it's, it's again, what you said, Em, is that she's not, unlike Aang, who by the time the series started, he had found a way to talk to the spirits um you're looking at a different avatar where she you know she just got to the avatar state not long ago but she had matched the part of actually speaking to spirits so unalak at this time then appeals to train cora 
And immediately, uh, Tonrock and Tenzin are objecting, and they they sense that something is off too. On top of all of this, but Cora, she she is like, look, I don't want you guys to tell me what I can or can't do anymore, and what she wants is results. She wants action and abilities. That is always what Cora has wanted. She wants to be able to take the fight into her own hands. She wants to get to things right away. And currently there is a threat and Unalak is the way to answer that threat. So she wants to go directly to that. And this is when Cora says, you know, I think I need a new teacher. Tenzin leaves uh, and it's just this bitter moment as Korra sides with Unalak. And then we see Tenzin packing up with the family. And as he is going, he's just like, I need some alone time with my family. As Katara is standing there with Kaya and Bumi. And Katara's like, this is your family. And then we get this line from Katara. When you get to my age, you'll cherish the time that you had with your siblings. And it's just like, well, it's like I feel like that's what hints to what happened to Sokka. Because then at that point, you think in your head when she says a line, you're like, "Boomerang." I know, and it's just it makes you realize that like Katara's saying, like, "Look, you need to cherish the time that you do get with them because it's not forever." Yeah, and I think it's just it's such a powerful moment from her. Tenzin recognizes it. And Kaya and Bumi are along for the adventure. Um, and as the episode wraps up, Korra looks on as Mako comforts her. And, you know, she's unsure, but Mako's like, look, you need to trust your gut and I think, or trust your heart. And I think that that's what's important. And Korra doesn't like not, she doesn't like lash out at him, but I think she just is like, all right, I think that's the first thing that you said that's right, Mako. <laughs> And Unalak then proceeds to come up and he goes, I have great plans for you. And it's like at that moment where we as the audience are like, he's the bad guy, he's the bad guy, he's the bad guy. Cora, there is a red flag here. There's a red flag. (laughs) Danger, danger Will Robinson. Can we go back to when um, Cora also found the bad guy? He could have just killed her right away. He didn't have to save her for last. Well, I think what we're seeing here is the the bad guys seem to play the long game in these stories. Like, rather than Absolutely. just be very overt with their intentions, they have and other alternative them. motives. Yes, and destroy them. I mean, their kids are a little weird, but beside the point. Um, <laughs> and I think here we're acknowledging that this is a change in direction. And it, <laughs> so you're going to laugh, but I think, I think this also becomes like the sense of how children grow to a certain point where they feel that need to break away from what is known. Like Tenzin's mm. what expected, what is known to her. And she's like, I need to step out on my own, make my own mistakes, do my own thing as an avatar. And it's kind of like that fight to see, you know, I think that's kind of where it comes from is that need to be a little rebellious at that time. And I mean, we've all done it and we've all had that teenage rebellious phase of some sort. Some of us <laughs> dye our hair red. Yeah. Some of us uh, go to grad school in weird places and then don't talk to their friends for a little while. Colin! <laughs> what? Um, 
some some of us uh, decide to go and get uh, new teachers that apparently could be, you know, con- completely have ulterior motives that essentially make them the ultimate villain of the current season of book. But besides yes. the point. Um, <laughs> there really are just powerful themes set up in the f- this first episode. Um, setting the tone, we're getting a great sense of conflict. We know that there's spirits. They are powerful. They are stronger than this whole group and that there is a single technique that can take them down. And suddenly it's setting the stage for a lot to happen. And I I think it's a really wonderful way to kind of introduce this story and get us into this next season and really approach some new subjects. And poor Waka will never say the right thing. No, never, never. (laughs) He'll never say the right thing. Always say bad things. Marco, <laughs> Marco thinks they're good for like yes, 20 Marco seconds thinks they're okay. Yes. Oh, I love you. So that is going to conclude it for uh, our discussion of this first episode. Uh, Susan and Em, thank you so much for joining me today for this discussion. Thank you for having us, Colin. Can I join you? Can I join you tomorrow? I really want to be back. I want to see you guys. <laughs> I want to hear you guys. <laughs> but it was very interesting to see what the Avatar can actually be in the series instead of, like, guessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we have Because Emily started this episode, this series with a baseline, at least, for what she expected of the Avatar. So I think that's, that is a great way to start off, that we have a baseline of what the Avatar is and what they do. And then this series takes it to a different level of a new avatar, a new avatar doing what they do. And honestly, you know, um, I'm just really excited that it's on Netflix now and everyone can watch it. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. Even though we had some sad news last week, uh, I, I still have some hope because I'm like Katara mm-hmm. and a lot of hope. But <laughs> thanks yes. for having us. Yes. Thank well, you for having no, us. Well, of course. No, this was wonderful. And uh, so uh, remember, folks, you can uh, find us on all of those good, good social medias uh, on Facebook and Instagram at Legend of Portalcast, on Twitter at Portalcast Pod, on our website, legendofportalcast.com, and on all those listening, audible things, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spotify Stitcher, all those good things. So what's the um, hashtag for this episode <laughs> to let everyone know? Uh, I feel like the hashtag for this episode would be uh, hashtag Cora Unalak is a red flag. <laughs> hashtag hashtag Mako gets it wrong. Yes, I think that that is right. Mako gets it wrong. Uh, so good. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in uh, and be sure to join us uh, in for our next episode as we dive into episode two for The Legend of Korra, book two. But until next time, let us leave. Yes.